Welcome to the Business Marketing Agency Podcast with Barbara Griffin. Regular tips and tricks for business owners who want to market their business online. Hey, hi, it's Barbara Griffin here and I'm here with Lee Store, who's actually an old friend of mine. Well, he's actually not that old. <laughs> he's only 30, but I've known him for tw- uh, 10 years, isn't it, Lee? Yeah, 10 years. Hi, Barbara. Hi, everyone. In the last few years, Lee's done an absolutely incredible achievement, which is he's started a company called Biosolar, that um, I read an article about you recently that it's making actually $30 million a year. Is that correct? Yeah, thanks. Uh, this financial year is on track for about $34, 35000000 million. So last year we did about $11 million, so we've got a, a little bit of growth there. So that's amazing. So really what I want to talk to you about is because, you know, I've known you for 10 years and I've known sort of bits and pieces of your journey, but I wanted to talk about that. You know, how do you, how does a guy get to be 30 years old with a company that he's created from scratch? I guess, you know, lessons from someone who's created a $30 million a year business by the time he was 30. Now, how long did it actually take you to start Biosolo? When did you start it? Uh, this time three years ago, so 2010 with three staff. So we've now got about 120 staff and uh, over $30 million a year turnover. Wow. So it happens... Um, it happens quite quick once everything is in place. Uh, really, the last 12 months has been the, the real growth phase. Yep. And so, so to sort of explain, you didn't just sort of wake up one day and, and say, look, I'm going to start an electricity company. You had actually been in that business for quite some time, hadn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to get to this point is a, a ridiculous number of hours. And uh, during the 20s where most people are out enjoying their life and partying, I was uh, working and building businesses. Yeah, so basically I was just trying to ask, you know, you've jumped in at 27 and started a company within three years that's this big. But I thought it would be quite interesting if you could explain to people your backstory about how you were able to do that at 27, like you've you already had a background with managing big sales teams and also with electricity. Do you want to sort of give people a rundown of maybe the last 10 years of Lee Store? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess uh, you get to a point where things happen pretty quickly. Um, a lot of people say um, you don't become rich over a long period of time. Everyone becomes rich really quick. Yeah. And I guess it's the same with business growth. Is uh, you don't grow a business um, over a long period of time. Is the real growth happens in a short period of time. So the last uh, twelve months, I guess we've had um, about three hundred percent growth, and we've become quite a large company in three years. But it's, it's a product of um, ten years worth of learning, education, mistakes, and uh, hard work. So it's, um, I guess where it started was um, back of, I started my first business when I was 14, in fact, um, running events, bands and uh, DJ events down in country Victoria. Really? Because you're from Warrnambool, aren't you? Yeah, that's right, Warrnambool down in the southwest corner. I remember when you first said where you're from, it was, sounded like Warrnambool and I didn't really know where, I, I was quite new in Australia and I hadn't heard of it. And yeah. It took me a while to, to catch on. You could be excused if you hadn't heard of it. <laughs> I've heard of it now. Well, you've put it on the map pretty much. Yeah. Uh, there's a few others as well. A few footy players from Warnable now, I think, and they're, uh, they're certainly putting it on the map more than I am. Um, are your parents really proud of you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for as much as they can understand what I do, and um, it's not really their area of uh, life or expertise. Uh, my mum's a school teacher, my dad's a factory worker. Uh, so right from when I was 14, I guess... I was taking risks that uh, 14-year-olds don't usually take um, and I guess it was not being connected to that risk to a degree or just having absolute confidence in what I was doing. Um, organizing events where the first event I organized, I was 14 years old so I had no money other than a bit of pocket money every uh, month or so or every holidays. 
Yeah, so take take me back to being 14 because I think that's really interesting. I think a lot of entrepreneurs get their sort of, you know, get up and go at a quite an early age, sometimes because something happened or other times just because it was in them. And you mentioned just before you're almost um, – like you said that you had no fear because you know you were just a kid was your attitude then just hey I think I just want to do this let's just do it was it like that I've always had a um I guess from sports from uh always been successful at sports I've had a, a level of drive and um and energy from from that background and confidence that comes with it mm-hmm. and looking at things differently I've always been a, an improving um sort of personality type looking at things and how they can be made better yep and that's where the first idea for a business came from. I was 14 years old and I went to my first underage music event or disco or whatever you might like to call it, <laughs> yeah. country area. And had the time of my life and thought, geez, if only all my friends knew about this, they'd all want to go as well. Yeah, awesome. And um, you ended up studying entrepreneurship in Melbourne, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. And that's so, when we met. So t- tell me about, you know, that degree course was actually a bit groundbreaking at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was um, the first year intake of the course. Um, I was fortunate enough to know one of the lecturers that was creating and designing the course. So I knew two years before I went into university that I had a pretty much guaranteed position. Yep. And how did you get to know that lecturer? Was that already you were networking as an entrepreneur? Uh, no, uh, yeah, I guess through the events that I was running down in um, Warrnambool. He was um, involved in the business community down in Warrnambool as um, an educator, I guess, and he was running some seminars and I was already into personal development and uh, reading books and looking at things. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of one of the events, um, I believe it was, and he liked what I was doing and wanted me to be a part of the course that he was putting together and actually ended up modelling the course around me as an entry-level student. So based on that, I, I knew I was sort of guaranteed a position which didn't fare well for a work ethic in uh, in, in high school. Yep, that's pretty awesome. Now, what you learn in a degree, Bachelor of Entrepreneurship, is that what it was called? Yeah, Bachelor of Entrepreneurship. Um, did you actually learn, you know, was it, was it a for real course that you think, yes, that course was, you know, critical to what you ended up emerging at in the marketplace? Or do you think it was sort of theoretical and then you, most of your learnings were sort of on the fly? Yeah, to be honest, it's, um, yeah, what I took away from the course probably wasn't uh, what was anticipated out of the course. I got a fair bit out of some of the guest lecturers, um, but I really learned to appreciate the best education is self-education, chosen education and money that you spend yourself outside of the formal realm. Um, yeah, we could mention that a bit because um, you, I know that you've done Anthony Robbins and you've learned from some really amazing entrepreneurs. Do you want to you know, mention the, the people that you studied with you, you thought were really influential? Um, yeah, Tony Robbins is probably number one. Tony Robbins is a guy that uh, really masters things and mastering. So you look at all of his events and um, his education materials actually span everything from uh, personal development, wealth creation, emotional mastery, relationship mastery, sales mastery. He's really on the mark with everything he teaches because he has a, a process of modeling the most successful people in the world and downloading their 20, 30, 40 years of uh, dedicated research into one field um, and condensing that into understandable material and uh, adopting that and then moving on. Yeah. Hey, um, at the time when you were a student, um, that was actually when we met. And, you know, should we sort of talk about that? Because that's quite an interesting story. Um, I had just bought my first um, very low price. Can we say shitbox on this program? I guess we can because it's my program. I've bought my first shitbox property in New Zealand 
for about 14000 or some ridiculous price and, you know, done a cheap renovation on it that cost about $6,000 and then rented it out for 120 week a week, which was some sort of, I don't know, 30% yield or something crazy. And I was actually writing about it on an internet forum called propertyinvesting.com, which our friend Steve McKnight runs. And um, that that thread got absolutely crashed by people saying, really, that can't be true. And if it's true, can you help me get one? And, And Lee, you were on that thread and you noticed all the interest and you actually, you know, contacted me and said, um, I want to go into business with you. I'll, you know, find, I'll sign up the deals. You've got the customers. Let's let's go halves. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, a case of, I guess, seeing an opportunity, seeing a market and there's people that were looking for it. There's um, properties to be had, but everyone's fixed their nine to fives and uh, couldn't afford the time or the money to go over and have a look for these properties. Yeah. And I wasn't really business minded at all in those days. So it was like a complete great idea that I would have never done by myself so anyway we arranged to meet in Melbourne at Starbucks and you know it was all pre-Facebook it was a bit seemed a bit dodgy meeting a random stranger on the internet but then when I I met you like this strapping handsome really intelligent really great guy and I just instantly thought yeah this guy's the real deal and trust I had instant trust for you and um you know, we did quite a few deals that year. Like, I don't know, did we do 100 or something? Uh, we did quite a few. I don't, I don't think it was that. Few, I don't know how many we did. But, you know, basically then you got busy and went off and did other things. And I got other business partners after that. But we were actually business partners when you were 19. And I have nothing but fond memories about that. And that was, you know, a bit of a groundbreaking time for me as well. So thanks for that time. No worries. So um, what I remember us discussing at the time was for you, it was like, I don't know, property investing, these small properties, renovating them, it's all too slow for me. I want to do big deals. And I was sort of semi-laughing because, you know, it's like, well, look, everybody does, especially blokes. But you actually really were genuine about that and that's exactly what you did. Yeah, either wanted to do big deals or lots of deals. So I guess with the New Zealand property, it was more lots of deals. So after property, you, you went off in a different direction and that's when you went more business, isn't it? You went into direct sales and that came from one of the guest speakers in the entrepreneurship course saying if you want to be a real successful entrepreneur, is the number one skill for entrepreneurs is sales. Um, it drives so, all so what do you mean by direct sales? Is that you mean like door-to-door? Yeah, door-to-door. So that's, that's really in the, the front line of direct sales and uh, we get exposed to it at, uh, I guess, the purest form um face-to-face cold calling so you went into business with another sort of young uh, a guy who had a bit of a profile and started a business with him didn't you well i went to work for another company first of all so after this entrepreneur came into the course and i thought i'd go away in a six-week summer break and um, learn and master this whole sales thing and uh, get back to the real world of business Um, but what i realized is uh, sales is the real world of business and nothing happens until the sale is made and so I quickly became good at this. And, and what were I, you selling at that time? I was selling electricity on behalf of energy retailers, so churning customers from one retailer to another for a better product. Well, funny that because that's probably when you got to know that market from right from every single step of the process. Yeah, definitely a real focus in that area, uh, especially the renewable side of things. I had an interest in green. Yeah. And I think uh, looking at that market from a different perspective to most people, it wasn't just about the money. I went in there for education. So I was able to apply myself and apply myself 100% to master it and uh, very quickly from about 200 sales reps, I was number one in the country in the first sort of 30 days. So and then were you training other sales reps as well? 
Yeah, so that's where it uh, started scaling and obviously having an entrepreneurial mind, I just started adding leverage to start building teams and um, building a base um, below there that I'd get sales commissions and overrides off the teams. Yep. But you were still um, working for somebody else or you were in business with someone else? No, I was working for else. I spent about two years working for other people. Yeah, uh, so you were about, what, 22, 23 by then? Yeah, early 20s. Early 20s, yep. Yeah, wow. So um, what did you do next and how did that end and how did you sort of go into the next phase where you were thinking about or, yeah, yeah. tell me, tell me the rest of the story. Uh, well, looking at it, it was just a case of applying more leverage. So I was making uh, an average of three and a half to five thousand dollars a week as a team leader, early twenties, um, running teams and building other people's companies. And looking at the numbers, is I knew I could build my own channels, get my own contracts, and um, scale it from there. So I actually started my own business. Um, took on a contract with another energy retailer, and went out and started my own business with that. Started taking on staff and um, within 30 days I had 40 staff and we're doing about 20,000 a week profit and uh, I was just growing like crazy but I found myself doing everything as, um, as the entrepreneur, as the, the business person, as the uh, sales trainer and... Uh, yeah, I mean you make it sound quite easy, you just blithely say, oh I just started, I just took another contract with an energy retail and started my own company but... You know, for the average person, um, you know, what, what you didn't sort of explain is how much knowledge you had about how the electricity resale industry works. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, two years of, um, I guess, high achievement in that industry, I was able to, um, able to do it quite easily and get results. And I was able to actually fund my own business off that too. So I knew if I could write my own sales with an energy contract at full commissions, uh, from an retailer, then I was able to take care of all fixed expenses. So rather than pour money into a startup, I was able to start it off um, with no capital investment, just writing sales myself, as well as training other people to do that and replicating and building it. So would you say that that, you, that one form of leverage was that you took a business that you'd been working in as an employee or as a contract, whatever you call it, and you thought I can replicate this business but own it, own the race course? Uh, yeah, correct. And not just do that, but um, ideally do it better as well. And did you take your team with you? Uh, There's a couple of people that came across with me. Uh, so started with probably three or four others. Yep. They've been people that were in my team for quite a while. And Is I'd, that the company that grew into Biosolar or is that a precursor? No, not at all. Uh, there's been a few companies since, in fact. Um, so I went into the energy retail market very fast but as I said I found myself doing just about everything and working 21 22 hour days and getting blood noses from fatigue and thought uh, this is really this isn't how it's supposed to be and I need a bit of help here those are probably the years where I didn't hear from you very often <laughs> so it was um, I decided to bring on um, bring on a couple of friends from the entrepreneurship degree as business partners to take care of all the in-house operations and finances and administration tasks whilst I built and trained and um, motivated sales teams and um, grew the company. Wow. So um, what, what um, you know, when you said you wanted to do it better, what mistakes did you see the business making that you were going to do better in your business? Uh, very simple with sales and marketing is um, integrity and values. So you look at the entire sales industry and any sort of sales is notorious for people dropping their integrity in a sales process and um, selling things that they shouldn't and uh, overstretching the truth with customers. And I found that I was able to sell a product, uh, 100% environmental product, 
it actually costs the customer slightly more, be upfront about it, uh, know that they're doing something better for the environment, mm-hmm. making a conscious choice, sell a product for exactly what it is, um, sell it on an educational-based process rather than um, a hard sales process. Yep. And benefit there for the customer that would entice them to go for it. And when you sell the benefits of a product, not the features and the sales hype of it, um, with high integrity, you actually can get better results. And I put that to the test many times and the people around me and the other companies, I didn't like what, how they were selling, what they were doing and um, I was able to outperform them usually to a tune of two to threefold in any given uh, week or month in results, selling with 100% integrity where they're trying to bend the truth and get around it. Yeah, no, I completely concur with that. It's exactly the same selling the products and services and, and in the internet marketing community. You know, integrity and education is a big part of the sales process. And, you know, I think you've got to make people deci- people want to decide for themselves but not feel like they were pushed into the sale. Yeah, correct. So um, James Ramco says sales should be undetectable. Sales should be undetectable. Mm. Yeah, so it should be the natural conclusion to an effective presentation. So yep. customer understands it is a sales process and they're buying something, but they should want to buy that and it should fit and meet their needs and um, their desired outcomes. So have you studied sales a lot, like read lots of books from different sales gurus and are there any sort of um, ninja tricks that you use apart from what you've described? Uh Ninja tricks, it's just education and psychology. Once you understand the psychology of sales and start applying that, it's, it's all quite, uh, I'd say quite easy, but it's quite easy if um, you've got the personality for sales and you're applying the leverage. Yeah, I think the whole day of 1980s, 125 tricky closes is sort of passe. It's not how people buy in this day and age, is it? Yeah, I like to say hard sales is exactly that. It's, it's a hard sales technique. The hard uh, sales outcome is, is it's actually quite difficult. Australians have one of the, the biggest uh, bullshit radars, as people say. Yeah. And you can see straight through it. People hate to be sold to, but they love to buy. We're yeah. a graphic and we love buying. Um, a lot of people say buying is progress and buying is um, moving forward into customers. They really love it. They want new products. They want to be progressing forward. They want better prices. They want better um, products. Yeah. So, there's no lack of um, a sale to be had. It's just a case of doing it ethically and aligning with what the customer wants. So, yeah, tell me about BioSolar so that I'd want to buy it. <laughs> about BioSolar? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so BioSolar is a company that set out in uh, 2010 to be the leading provider of solar in Australia. Um, in order to do that, uh, set up a mission statement as providing our customers the best purchasing experience they've ever had. And wow. We're able to deliver on that um, mission statement, then the results are, are going to come naturally. Yeah. So, uh, I believe the leading provider in Queensland, the largest Queensland-based provider, and one of the top five, um, certainly the top ten in the country. So basically you knock on the door and say, hello, who are you using for your electricity? Do you want to change over to biosolar? This is what we do. It's 100% solar. It's renewable. It's environmental. It's going to cost you just a fraction more, but what you're going to do for the environment is going to be awesome, like something like that. Is that what you what so, you do? It's uh, a full solar system, so panels and um, inverters. So uh, rather than buying your electricity from the large retailers. Uh, oh, I see. So it's a solar installation. Yeah. Yeah, and do you see that everybody in Australia one day is actually going to have this, like that's what's happening, that's the future? 
yeah, in the next, uh, I'd say this decade, is solar panels will be the hell's hoist of Australia of this decade. You'll have literally every home um, or almost every home with solar panels on the roof. And if every home does have it, will that mean that Australia will be able to make more energy than we consume or is there always going to be that shortfall for what people actually use? Well, you'll have technologies that assist such as battery backup to provide, um, I guess, electricity during the night when the sun's not shining. Yep. Uh, but we can certainly become a lot more self-sufficient with our energy usage. It's very difficult for a really large commercial premises to install, based on their roof space, enough uh, solar panel to provide their entire need. Uh, and, and is it that thing where um, people make excess energy, they feed it back into the grid and then it goes to the bigger consumers? Yeah, there are those options. So people can uh, provide their neighbours essentially with excess electricity. The energy retailers have mechanisms in place to facilitate that by purchasing the power from the customer. Well, it's a great thing. I mean, you know, free energy is what we need and it's one of those controversial topics that probably should have been introduced decades before it actually was introduced. But I'm, I'm glad, I'm for one glad that it's happening now. Yeah, free energy is, uh, I guess there's been a lot of talk about free energy and free energy devices and uh, all this sort of utopian ideas around. Well, I'm, I'm calling solar energy free energy in a way, even though there's a cost of the equipment to convert it, it's still free energy really, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Once it's all there and once it's all operational, um, the electricity generated is essentially for free, um, but it does have an attributed cost. Yeah, I'm sure if Tesla coils come become mainstream, you'll be able to build those in as well. It's <laughs> yes, um, What I'd like to ask you about is the, the personality profile of the entrepreneur, because I think that there, um, there are not enough entrepreneurs in the world, and maybe that's because not everybody has the personality type to be one. But um, you probably, as I do, hang out with a lot of entrepreneurs. What are the kind of qualities in an entrepreneur that you've noticed are needed to for somebody to be able to have an idea, see it through and succeed with it? Uh, interesting one because every entrepreneur is a little bit different. But I guess some common threads or common traits would be um, – uh, I think Will Smith put it right, uh, a ridiculous, sickening work ethic. Yeah, totally. It comes at times and it comes in waves, but it's certainly there as anyone that's uh, got something really good off the ground has put in really long hours. And um, there's, a, there's a quote, I think it's a J. Paul Getty quote that um, I really like is, um, decide what you want, then pay the price. And yeah. people aren't willing to pay the price and do what it actually really takes. They like the idea of it. They like the idea of success. Um, but they're not willing to face what it actually takes and put in those hours and make those sacrifices. And it literally is, as, as I said earlier, is, um, I spent my 20s building businesses rather than at the pub with friends drinking beer. Yeah. Look, I read somewhere yesterday that if you create value for others and put in the energy required, that's what it takes. Yeah, of course. And creating value is if you've got something that uh, you're able to create more value than you demand in uh, return, then you're have a successful business and um, you've got to be genuine about that and provide genuine value in what you promise. Did you see it as pretty much a steady growth curve with just tweaking things on the way or were there times when you thought it got really tough and you almost gave up? Uh, there's never almost giving up. Uh, there's never an option really. Uh, I certainly found myself in positions where um, you become very challenged and very compromised as an owner or as an entrepreneur. Um, I built several businesses before Biosolar and 
had a couple of industry significant industry changes where um, contracts with an energy retailer that pulls out of a market overnight when you've got 160 staff and you just spent 300000 fitting out an office and committing to three-year leases. Yeah. So some very interesting experiences. I found myself at about 25 years old. Uh, I was earning forty, fifty thousand 50000 a week and everything was fantastic. I had the house and the cars and a big successful business growing 20% uh, month-on-month growth. Yeah. And then overnight things change. Uh, you find yourself losing $15,000 the following week, uh, week on week, and sustain it for as long as you can before having to fold it up. And pretty soon you're, uh, you're now back to square one. Everything you made in the last couple of years has gone into funding uh, the wind down of a business and your $1.2 million in personal secured debt. Wow. And what age were you when that happened? Uh, 25. So you find yourself in a position there as I did is you've got one of two choices is you can throw the cards in and uh, as most people would say, go bankrupt and that's the only choice you've got and that was all the advice around me, professional advice and personal advice. Uh, if I had chosen to take that path, it would have been a different story but instead I chose um, well, $1.2 million is is nothing once you're up and going and if you've got a successful business, you can manage that, take care of it, no problem. Um, and certainly within a seven-year period, better than not being able to operate a business during that period and uh, sitting on the sidelines. So if you if you took away the lesson from that, um, I mean, you'd say that it was too single point dependent, and then when that single point wasn't there, the whole business was gone. Would you would you agree with that? The lesson it wasn't single point dependence. Um, I would say it was uh, not knowing what you don't know is being oh, yeah. focused in. Uh, I guess in your perspective, I didn't cr- control all the variables. Um, I was a company, but I wasn't actually a company. I was really a, a sales arm to another company. I didn't have my own product. I didn't control the industry. So I knew my business back to front and was very successful at what we were doing. And um, we were doing 25% of all market churn in Australia and growing ridiculously fast at the most amazing culture and staff. Um, but what I didn't know was the market factors, the market forces around it that made the electricity industry really tick in the whole right. the retail markets. So the energy. I mean, looking back, is there anything that you could have done differently, or is that just the way the cookie crumbled and would have crumbled, no matter what? Uh, done differently was would probably be knowing more of the variables and scaling my business uh, to suit that risk profile. Um, I could have foreseen it coming, but. Only six weeks in advance, really. Right. But probably would have been a similar outcome regardless of the amount of information. Right. So the thing that you did when that happened, your job is to act fast. So how fast did you have to act to kind of finish it and get the new thing going? You had to act reasonably fast. Um, a mistake I made is I should have acted immediately and just closed the, the doors altogether and recovered that way. Um, but I didn't want to do that. My integrity and my um, commitment to the staff and the group of people that um, had come that far with me. Mm-hmm. Was- if you had done that, you know, made an overnight decision and just shut the doors, would you have actually been able to come out with some money rather than, you know, a little bit of debt? Yeah, Absolutely. But then everybody else would have suffered. So you basically put your own personal finances, you sacrificed those for your staff. I don't think many people would have done that, would they have? Uh, depends. There's probably a lot that wouldn't. Uh, there's certainly some that would. Uh, some would do it consciously. Some would do it unconsciously. Um, some wouldn't even know what they're doing. 
it's it's really until you're in that position, you're not really what, sure what choice you would make and it depends on your learning outcomes beforehand. But you were doing that consciously? Yeah, consciously. Wow. So then, okay, you, you walk out of there, you've, you're 1.2 million in the hole. What do you do then and how old are you at this point? Is this 25? Yeah, 25. Uh, from there you start running and you run really fast. Is Now you've got to build, but build twice as fast. Yep, and that's exactly what you did? Yeah, exactly what I did. So the next business, it would take me 12 months to get to 100 staff the first time around. The next uh, time it took me six months to get to 100 staff. So when you start a new business, you're, you're starting again from scratch. Are you basically taking on competitors? Did you have competitors? Uh, you never start another business from scratch. You start a business carrying through the learning lessons and the outcomes and the strategies and um, what's worked, what hasn't worked from previous. Uh, you may start from scratch on a staff basis or on a financial basis, but you're, you're never back to where you started. So that, uh, you can learn and learn faster from any failures. And starting in an industry with competitors is always the best way to do it. If you start in an industry with no competitors, you know it's going to be a tough slog. First of all. Yeah, because then you'd have to tell people what you actually do before they could decide if they want it. Yeah, correct. And it's so much easier to go into a business that is uh, even heavily saturated. Look at Apple iPhones, for example. They went into a business that Nokia owned and now Nokia's out of business and uh, Apple dominates the market. Um, when there's a proven market for a product, um, you know there's revenue to be had. That's super interesting. Um, tell me about door-to-door sales and, and building a team. How do you get good people? Do you hire people that have had previous sales experience or do you hire brand new people and, and train them up? And what do you look for? What makes a good salesperson that you go, oh, yeah, I want that guy or that girl? It really depends on the individual. Um, in direct sales, you find all sorts of people. Um, I like to call it the Lost Boys Club at times um, with the diversity of people that you have in the teams. Wow. Thing that I look for most is passion, enthusiasm, and integrity. And is it is it quite skewed to males, or do you have females and males? What what percentage females and males do you have on your sales team? Yeah, it varies at different times. I generally find it's about eighty percent male, twenty percent female. Is that because females don't want to do door to door sales, or what do you think the reason is? Uh, to be honest, not sure. I think it's uh, maybe the stigma that goes with it, and um, I guess what people are prepared to do. I find the same uh, ratio in, in, in the internet marketing community um, in our Silver Circle Mastermind group. There's th- about 30 people and we had 20 of them at a meetup recently. There were only three girls, women. Yeah, if you bring it back, um, looking at some of the business psychology things and uh, I guess a few things I've learned and read over the time, if you, if you strip it right back to fundamental um, psychology is the male is always putting himself out there and that's what direct sales is, is putting yourself out there. So, yeah. The, the fear of rejection is lower for a male and I've found, um, I've had, uh, I remember one classic example of a female that started and this is a, at a time where 10 or 12 sales a day was um, a huge result and only really experienced guys would be able to get to that point. Yep. This girl came out in the first two days, she hit 10 and 12 and she'd spoken to like 11 and 14 people to get those results and she quit. And wow. And she was early 20s, she could have been earning three, four, five thousand dollars a week almost from day one. But it was the ones that rejected her that took her confidence? Yeah, I asked her why she quit. And she's a beautiful international backpacker traveling and a fantastic personality. And she said she can't handle the rejection. And I think you've touched on something. And I, and I am, um, you know, I'm not so feminist that I can't agree with you and say that 
I think that women probably do care more about fitting in, being part of, bonding than guys for some reason. Probably not as used to rejection as men. Um, so taking that on a daily basis, rejection after rejection with direct sales um, may be tougher and um, a little bit out of the comfort zone. Uh, if you look at uh, just, just the dating game and relationships, it's just usually men that are making the approach and putting themselves out there for rejection. Yeah. It's, it's that- <laughs> that's a whole other topic. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, I, I actually want to ask you, you know, don't have to answer this if it's too personal, but when, how was your relationship when you were at your sort of bottom phase where it had all crapped out and you'd had to fold suddenly and you were in the hole? Did that tax your relationship or did, uh, did your partner just think, oh, look, that's just Lee, he'll sort it out? Or, we, you know, how did that sort of work? Yeah, my partner Jamie, she's very supportive and very understanding and fantastic. And, uh, in fact, if anything, then the relationship gets stronger during those times. Um, yeah, obviously, you've got a lot more balance in your life and a lot more time for, for the relationship, although you're, you're working uh, very hard on the surface uh, to get things back and going. Um, you find there's a little bit of actual time that you can dedicate towards the relationship and you pick up um, and get satisfaction in other areas of your life where um, other areas are weaker at those points in time. You find a cyclical with, um, with your business and uh, during different times of success and commitment to the business and same with your relationships and um, they're never all perfectly in balance. Yeah. There for a fraction of a time and then one of them's out of balance. Look, I know Jamie and she's a beautiful woman, very talented and special and she, both of you guys have interest in raw food and also Jamie's a yoga teacher, yoga instructor and what I thought was just so gorgeous is that you're now both working together at Biosolar which has this kind of state-of-the-art Facebook-like campus that has an um, indoor grass yoga centre and a raw food bar. I mean, that's just, that's just genius. Do you want to talk about that, about your actual office building and how you guys are working together on that? Yes, Jamie's done a fantastic job there. She's got her own yoga studio and raw food cafe now. Uh, we took the approach of an entire refit of um, our new offices in Wollongabba up in Queensland. And the approach of, um, if anyone's read Michael Gerber, um, the e-myth speaks in his book, which I read about 10 years ago, is um, build your business like a game. If you create a game that people want to play and uh, is enjoyable to play and rewarding along the line, everyone knows what the rules are, know what the processes are and how to succeed, then you'll find you'll have no problem attracting and retaining staff. So is the yoga centre and the juice bar just for your staff or is it for the public? Uh, both of those are actually open to the public as well. The yoga studio certainly is. The raw food cafe, we haven't officially opened to the public now, but we can't hold them back. The word of mouth is spreading because it's the only raw food restaurant in, uh, in Queensland. Oh, sorry, in Brisbane. Wow. That's sort of natural word of mouth. Um, we're getting a lot of the public in at the moment. So we're actually just building out on the yoga studio. We're building a, a big deck and an outdoor dining area there so that uh, we can officially open to the public and cater with that amount of people. Because the Royal Food Cafe is actually located within the office building. Yeah. So it's a full um, functioning cafe. Uh, so if people want to come to your yoga centre in the Royal Food Bar, what's the address and how do they get there? And that's close to Brisbane, is it? Yeah, 43 Ipswich Road uh, in Wollongabba on the corner of Hawthorne Street. Is that far from the CBD? That's about a kilometre out of the CBD. Oh, great. Mm. So look, um, I feel like I've, um, it was so interesting hearing about your story and congratulations on this amazing business that you've created. And I just wanted to finish with, um, 
if you had any tips for you know young entrepreneurs you know that want to achieve something like that you've achieved by your age what other um, tips sounds a bit sort of superficial but you know are there any kind of lessons or, or things that you would like to say even to yourself if you're starting over to help others uh, yeah be prepared for the ups and the downs um, understand that uh, there's lessons and although you may not appreciate them at the time is uh, every experience positive or negative is something to learn from um, invest in your own education the more you learn the more you earn um, I've spent 200,000 on my own personal education with um, and that's outside of the formal education that's in uh, just personal development and mentoring programs and uh, speaking to people listening to audios going to seminars yep um, and it really the case of the more you learn the more you earn and anyone that really intellectually gets that um, will do quite well um, but in the same breath is there are a lot of very educated people there that take no action so action so true action is the biggest uh, ingredient to success um, uh, but you don't want a motivated idiot so you've got to have the um, yeah. education behind you and know what you're doing and you've got to take big risk and be prepared to go all in and uh, commit to what you believe in and your passion and um, just go for it. Understand uh, that it, it takes a lot of hard work. Um, it's not all about ideas. There's thousands and thousands of ideas on a daily basis that never get any traction because no one took action. Uh, the basic law of sales is the same as the basic law of um, business and that's activity times skill equals results. And wow. Apply them both. Um, with massive leverage in each area and uh, you get huge results. And it's, they always say that um, uh, I guess there's a lot of space at the top, uh, top level of results in any given area or any given category just because there's very few people that make the sacrifices and take the action in order to get there. But it's so easy to do so. If you commit to 12 months of self-education in your chosen fields, you automatically become one of the top 1% or 2% of educated people in that field. Did you have a, a mentor when you were doing this or did you just really ha have yeah, – yeah, did you have a mentor when you were doing all this? Uh, for the most part, no personal mentors that are, that are there that I'm consulting with or speaking to. Um, I took Tony Robbins as, um, as a mentor from afar. Did you get quite close to him and do any sort of, you know, small group stuff with him? I did all of his uh, courses and I actually signed up for his Platinum Partnership, which is the $100,000 a year, um, go away on all the trips and four trips a year with him. Yep. Uh, but I committed to that and spent all the money and then didn't end up going on any trips because <sighs> uh, that's when first business, uh, the energy retailer pulled out of the market. I just wanted to ask you about capital raising. Did you ever have to raise capital along the way? Yeah, I did. Uh, I've had a couple of instances of capital raising. And so where do you go for that and how hard is it? And was that one of your biggest challenges or was that just making a sale? Uh, yes, yeah, very challenging, especially in Australia. Um, Australia is a very difficult uh, market to raise capital in, especially when you're trying to raise it immediately uh, or during uh, the big financial collapse. Uh, challenging yeah. itself, it becomes a lot harder uh, than other times. Uh, but you've really got to have... Um, it all comes down to team, not idea. Is about ten percent is attributed to the idea; the rest is attributed to the team and the the leadership. So, did you go to people that you knew, or did you go to sort of capital raising organisations or sort of bodies? Yeah, I've never been a networker, so I didn't really know anyone that I could raise capital from. So everything came from new connections. Yep. 
I brought on a business partner for Biosolar to help in that area. Um, a guy in his mid-50s has had a lot of success in uh, his chosen uh, business field over the last 30-odd 30, 30 years. Yep. Um, he's raised capital and uh, provided capital to other businesses as well, so he sat on both sides of the fence and saw in him um, obviously the experience there and uh, when you apply the same direct sales strategies into solar where you're selling a system for 15000 instead of receiving a $150 sales commission from an energy retailer. For your business model, there's a few zeros on the end, so you need that corporate structure and processes and financial management. Yeah. So I saw that in, uh, in the partner there and took that on board and um, became business partners and he'd take care of the capital raising, I'd take care of the business. But unfortunately, we kept hitting funding walls. We kept uh, running out of capital and we kept not being able to provide our consumers with uh, financing for the systems. I see. So after hitting my head against the wall for um, about 18 months, I decided to start looking into and taking care of that myself. And um, within eight weeks, I was able to take care of all the capital needs for the business going forward, um, which made that business partner redundant in, in the role. Wow. Can you sort of give us a tip of how you did that or is that are you able to say that? Yeah, very challenging and difficult uh, process. Is it about you know turning up with your best suit on and a really structured proposal about what's in it for you to whoever you're talking to? Um, no, not really. It's um, it's really the same as anything else in sales. Is uh, sales is a transfer of emotion at, at that level? Really, you've got to have a professional aspect about you and. Um, Jordan Belfort uh, teaches a strategy called three tens, and the three tens is um, applies to sales. But out of a scale of uh, I guess zero to ten, um, on each of the three areas, they must absolutely like and love your product. They must absolutely like and trust you, and they must absolutely like and want to buy from your company. So if you look at that, in order to get a, a sale from a direct sales point of view, a 10 out of 10 on each level, you apply the same to a capital raising. They must absolutely like um, and want to invest in your idea. But then they must absolutely like and trust you as a, as a leader. And then they must absolutely buy and believe that your team can deliver upon it. So if you can get all that right, um, there's no suits and ties. Uh, it's, it's just getting in front and having the right conversations and just courageous straight conversations with the people that can deliver and you'll find you get the support i guess i do have a sort of old-fashioned romantic vision of you in a sort of madman type of suit you know coming into a boardroom with 12 people and doing your pitch and sort of absolutely smashing it was it not like that uh, it was those days um we did 12 months or 18 months of road show around the country um but it just wasn't effective. It wasn't getting there. In fact, um, capital in the company that uh, was required came from one of the very first contacts I had. And that came from a conversation that I had there. But at that point in time, um, they offered money into the company, but I was given a, a, a proposal that, uh, look, we'll invest in your company and provide the capital that you need and uh, split it 50-50. In the middle, we'll take the equity for risk capital. You'll take the equity for um, operations and any further money the business needs provide on a loan basis um, without affecting the equity. Uh, and did you take that deal? No, I didn't. I turned it down because the other condition that came with it is that you walked away from the other business partners with no, um, no, I guess, compensation or no acknowledgement of what they put in. And that was three or four months of, uh, of work and foundation also. So from an integrity basis, I wasn't prepared to do that and um, I passed on the deal at that time. Was this Biosolar or a previous company? 
biosolar. Right. Wow. How interesting. Yeah. So um, how did you finance this one, you know, in the end when you needed it? Um, I turned, turned that offer of capital into supply finance instead. So this company became a supplier to, the, um, to biosolar. They secured their funds not by putting it into the business but by funding a supply line and providing us uh, product on, uh, on terms essentially with a high level of security over the product and the business. So that was an ongoing longer term relationship and then when we hit um, uh, funding troubles and um, financial problems, I guess you could call it, uh, we were facing the wall as a business with a lack of un- or being undercapitalized. They had a supply line that was profitable for them. Um, I presented them with a with a situation for capital raising, and um, they came forward and made offers to protect that supply line or invest in the downstream supply line. And that's some of that is going over my head, but I'm sure that there are people that are listening that are following every word and going, "Wow, that's amazing." So, how's your lifestyle these days? I mean, do you do you are you still like really busy? you know running things or do you get to sort of have a cruisier life now that it's all sort of sailing away no i wouldn't say cruisier life um i get to i get to choose and take a few getaways um but the number of hours uh doesn't relax too much uh that's by choice though i've got a really good management team and a great management structure um but for me my my vision isn't complete yet and the the mission isn't there either um, we've got a lot more good that we can do. We support some charities with what we do now and there's a big difference to be made there as well as to our customers. Um, we're in one state. We've done all our business. Um, we've achieved almost $35 million in financial turnover this year in a 50-kilometre radius of Brisbane. So as far as our opportunity in the industry is quite significant. So over the next 12 months, it's about expansion and growth on a geographic basis and then into some other markets, other solar market segments of the market. So the next 12 months will be um, I'd say an accelerated growth on what we already have. Uh, so there's a lot of planning, strategic and work that goes into that. So, yeah, it was never really slowed down or the work doesn't uh, relax. You just change what you're doing and it uh, scales differently. And you said, that you said the so, word yeah. vision before and, I, and that the work never stops. And I think that this is a, a quality of entrepreneurs that they are visionaries and, you know, you're always creating. You're basically a creator. You have a vision and even when you're off, you know, you're on downtime, your subconscious or your conscious or both are just tweaking it and brainstorming it. It never stops, does it? Uh, it has rest at times, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so, so how big do you reckon you could, you could be? I mean, do you have targets? Do you have a, a, a number that you think we could get this big within this market? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, next financial year we should do over 100 million turnover. Uh, the following financial year, I'm aiming for a quarter of a billion turnover and then um, onwards from there. Um, when you realize the solar market is um, it's not just national, it's global. Anywhere the sun falls, there's a potential 20% plus return on investment at uh, the end user. So Yeah, so basically once you've, you've smashed it in Queensland, you're expanding into the other states. And then once Australia has got bio-solar, it's the market dominate, you can go into other countries. Uh, yeah, I've personally got um, some intentions for America as an entrepreneur and looking at a market that's uh, is 12 to 15 times the size of the Australian market. Um, 
same sort of strategies into a much larger market with uh, significantly more leverage than what you started with originally. You've got strategy, concept, funding, supply lines, the whole lot, and a human capital base, um, which you could... And would you start in America like you started in Australia in a particular state, like Miami or something like that? Uh, no, much different strategy over to America. Um, growth yeah. top down and the bottom up simultaneously, whereas in, a, in Australia it's really been a bottom up approach. Uh, it takes a long time to get that uh, real senior management line in place um, when you're starting with three staff. So to have the luxury of starting a business um, with a lot more capital and a lot more um, established strategy. Yeah. So have you got the Ferraris yet? No, no, I'm not a not as materialistic as uh, potentially once was. Uh, but you could have one if you wanted one. Ah, uh, yeah, probably could. Um, I prefer to wait to America. They're, they're half the price. So it sounds like you know you've already got your dream, but is there a a kind of can you paint me a picture of you know your ideal life? The um, you know when you would look wake up and look around and go, yeah, this is what I wanted. How would you describe you know your your dream? You know, just on a personal level. Uh, personal level dream. Um, I think renewable energy this decade is the same as what computers were and what the internet was. Is that's my vision as an entrepreneur is to be a leader of that. So looking at that from a global perspective and um, to be one of the um, emerging entrepreneurs from this decade of uh, renewable energies. Well, look, it's been an honour to know you for the last 10 years. It's been an honour to have said that, you know, we were in business once. I want to know you for the rest of your life or of my life. <laughs> I'm a bit older than you, so. Um, but, yeah, you've just done amazing things and it was just so fascinating having this chat. And, you know, thanks so much for your time, Lee. It's bonus and likewise. It's been a fantastic few years or last 10 years and knowing you and uh, the adventures that we had and uh, the business success and watching your story unfold as well. Yeah, and you're about to open an office in Sydney. So hopefully we'll get to catch up and have a few dinners. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Um, I was talking to Lee Store, the founder of biosolar.com.au. You've been listening to the Business Marketing Agency podcast with Barbara Griffin. For any questions, feedback, or just to keep in touch, email me, info at thebusinessmarketingagency.com.